whose bright idea was it to have the Super Bowl on the 13th of February and then Valentine's Day on the 14th, my guy? Don't watch football. <laughs> I don't either. We're uh, we're not sports people, but like that's a that's a bad call, right? Like they should have just did it on the 14th. <laughs> Super Bowl on the fourth. Might as well. You're one day yeah. away anyway. No, it has to be Super Bowl Sunday. But then Valentine's Day following the next day, like all these guys are going to be hung over. Some are going to be depressed from losing. A lot of broken hearts out there. A lot of <laughs> a lot of angry girlfriends or wives. <laughs> so in more important news, the hustle.co did a breakdown on the economics of Spotify. And they said streaming now accounts for more than three-fourths of the U.S. industry's revenue and more than half of Warner Music. So they interviewed an artist, and the artist said that she's been on like four Spotify-curated playlists at the same time, and she makes more money from Bandcamp in a month than she does from Spotify in a year. And that is because Spotify pays one-third of a penny per stream. So you're looking at $3.48 for a thousand streams of your song. So this artist says, I don't know any artists who feel their career has been made better by Spotify, um, but Spotify is the world's leading music streaming platform. Basically, when this guy, Daniel Eek, co-founded Spotify, you had three main options for listening to recorded music. You could pay $10 to $15 for a digital or physical album, right? You could go like buy buy some music Mm -hmm. you could pay a dollar for a digital song or you could illegally download albums and songs for free using a file sharing service like limewire and basically limewire and kazaa and all those were becoming more Mm -hmm. and more popular and then the chart of the money that was being made from recorded music basically just got smoked so Mm -hmm. from like 1980 to 2000 things were just going up and up and up 1999 and then things just take a huge tumble and the spotify (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) exactly so the peak was 22.7 billion dollars and then the down like the lowest point recently was in 2014 with just seven billion dollars so that's a huge amount of money just evaporating uh seven billion dollars is a lot of money Seven billion, but let's split. Um, <laughs> let's split for the entire like recording industry, right? Mm-hmm. So Spotify as a platform is now a behemoth. It has four hundred and six million users on the site. One hundred and eighty of them are paid, so that's ha- almost half of their users pay for it, and it accounts for twenty percent of all recorded music revenue. So mm-hmm. it's taking a huge cut. But as we can see, it's not paying artists a large Mm -hmm. sum of that money. This article breaks down like how Spotify payouts really work. And it said only 2% of Spotify artists earn more than $1,000 per year, which (laughs) is pretty depressing, right? Um, Those are all like the top 10 artists, pretty much like all the ones that are already making enough money from everything else. Uh, yeah, so an even more sobering thought is that um, only 13,000 artists on the platform make more than 50K a year or make 50K or more, which, you know, is like really difficult to carve out a living if you were just trying to do it through streaming. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, Spotify is not lucrative for most artists. Um, Napster and Tidal actually pay the most per 1,000 streams, while YouTube pays the least. Oh, wow. So as podcasting is getting bigger and bigger, music artists are having a lot of trouble kind of dealing with Spotify because Spotify is this giant and like you have to be, it feels like you have to be on it if you make music. Mm -hmm. But then since everyone's on it and it's very saturated and they're not not paying uh, a lot of money per stream, it's it's very difficult to make a living on the platform. Mm Mm-hmm. I was just gonna say, yeah, that's the thing. It's like when it when it comes to like, okay, well, who's the who's the main giant on whatever you know, whether it's YouTube. When everyone was going on YouTube, I mean, yeah, if you were early on it, you probably kind of reap the benefits of being first doing new things that weren't being done on this this new media platform. But right. then it's the same thing. Now YouTube's a big thing, and sometimes getting that exposure or getting noticed it makes it even you know that much harder. Yeah. Yeah. So, it, and the barrier yeah. to entry to make music has also come down significantly in the last 40 years, right? I mean, things have gotten much cheaper. You've got, you know, GarageBand and things like that. So, that plays a part of it too. Like, you could go from initial idea to a loop to publishing on Spotify within a few hours, you know? Mm-hmm. But I have a fun stat on YouTube as well because Google just released their earnings and YouTube has. 2.3 billion active users and the active users spend 23 hours a month on the platform versus six hours of Netflix. So this is actually suggesting that YouTube is a more successful and bigger business than Netflix, which is pretty crazy. Probably just because it's free for everybody. Yeah. And I think a big part of it is YouTube's not making their own content for the most part. You know, it's the user generated content that is just churning through and um, Netflix is either buying this content or they're making it themselves. Yeah. Plus, I think there's a a lot more kids on YouTube. You know, there's a lot of YouTubers who have kind of wacky content that, you know, like Mr. Beast, you know, you get a bunch of kids like, oh, filling up a giant mansion with like balls from the mcdonald's playpen or something like it's like all these like wacky things that just generate like millions and millions of views so you have all these kids on there too like anyone can access it whether you're a kid or grown adult and it's free it's right there so yeah that's true that is very true have you listened to the huberman lab podcast no no what's that about huberman is uh, his name's and Dr. Andrew Huberman, and he is basically a neuroscientist and researcher. And he decided to make his own podcast, just talking about like uh, science and science-based tools, as he says. But basically, it just t- gives you like practical tips on little changes that you can make to your day-to-day life to keep your hormones in balance and keep your stress levels low and basically just overall health, like raise your overall health baseline. Uh, So one of the things that he repeats a lot is to get some sunshine in the first hour of waking up. And so like get some sunshine in your eyes, like if at all possible, um, and that will just kickstart your cycle of your day he like once you once you start watching him you'll you'll hear him repeat himself on that that point a lot but it's really great stuff he talks about like different breathing techniques to mm-hmm. like lower your stress levels and then his colleague uh dr david sinclair just came out with a new podcast yeah the the thing i would be 
interested to hear if he has another thing for it. it's like you know for people who wake up in the morning when the sun's not out yeah just like get like a uv light and just flash it right in your eyes yeah so he talks about <laughs> he talks about like overhead lights like if you can't get actual sun like you live somewhere that doesn't have a lot of sun in the mornings or you're waking up you're in alaska and it's time. dark for like yeah, exactly exactly time. so overhead lights are really important um like just any sort of light that you can get into your system in the mornings when you wake up is um is better than nothing so Mm -hmm. this this other podcast is called lifespan with dr david sinclair and it is a really great it's a brand new podcast and he's basically doing aging research so they do a lot of aging research and like longevity research on mice and humans Um, they just did a like six episodes on the science behind why we age and then interventions for slowing and even reversing aging so they talk about like cold therapy i don't know if you've seen like these cold plunges that people are doing where you get into like 40 degree water in Mm -hmm. the mornings Uh, and they talk about saunas they talk about diet and exercise of course Um, and one of the the big takeaways was just like eat less often and so he like doesn't eat until dinner, this guy, and he's like 50 years old, but he, he looks way younger. And he, so he talks about like, if you can have like a, a large window between meals, um, uh, it's good for your body to be hungry. So he's big into like intermittent fasting, that sort of thing. Exactly. Exactly. Having your, your body like be hungry really helps with like the repairing process. And it just like gives your body a little bit of stress, like where's my next meal coming from kind of thing. And typically like in our comfort based culture, we don't have a lot of hunger. Like we don't really spend hours and hours going. Hungry. Yeah. Yeah. It's like you eat sometimes just out of boredom. You're like, well, I don't know what else to do. I guess I'll go. <laughs> I got to watch the Super Bowl. You can't watch yeah, the Super Bowl without Super food. Bowl's on. I got to go get a burger. I forgot to get my girlfriend a Valentine's day card, <laughs> you know, and chocolate, but, right? Yeah. It's, it's weird because I've heard, counter things to stuff like that Absolutely. like you hear like like intermittent fasting is great like like the fasting thing is good you know that's why people do juicing diets and stuff just to like cleanse and give their body almost like a restart but then you hear oh you should snack a little bit every now and again just yeah, to like yeah. keep your metabolism going if you stop eating your body goes into a crisis mode which could then like induce stress and all these other things it, it's it's crazy how you hear so many different types of health things you know like even dietary stuff like that like because yeah. uh, like i've been i've been vegan for like a little over two years now just eating plant-based you know i've been vegetarian before that for like almost 14 years probably wow. but then you hear people say oh you know too much soy or too much of this is bad for you it could be too much of this you know like the way i see it is like well what works for you yep. you know there's tons of people it's also how your body is too or also like what you do in a day physically going back to the stuff for like hormones and, and ways to stay kind of like in, in good mental spirits too, is, you know, just being physically active, you know, or doing certain kind of like prime workout things like flat bench or, you know, especially I've always heard that doing squats is a, is a great way to release hormones. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're just, you're, you're doing this motion going from down up and it's like supposed to like release a lot of hormones and stuff like that i don't know all the science behind it but it definitely I've always stimulates your blood flow and gets it's a, your metabolism yeah just gets because you're working your entire body and supposed to be like a great release for that sort of stuff like flat bench squats uh deadlifts you know those kind of like prime movements moving those big like, muscles 
Yeah. Like, you know, and, and if you can do free weights, especially, but you know, just like any sort of like free weight motion, because like, you're also like use, utilizing all these like microfibers and stuff too. So it's like all these little things that to like, really like work everything. Yeah. Most, I just this got, is turning into a, a fitness podcast now. Yeah. And we're not doctors, so don't take our advice, but yeah. uh, yeah, I just got two 50 pound dumbbells and, uh, Damn. Jump, and a jump rope. So yeah, I've, been, swollen, man. I've been doing all kinds of, uh, new exercises. So that's been fun, but moving big muscles you can definitely feel a big difference uh throughout your day you know working mm-hmm. a desk job where you're either standing or sitting all day and just staring at a screen you have to go out of your way to mm-hmm. exercise i mean it doesn't we're not digging ditches here so it's not that there's no natural exercise with our yeah, job just look at just look at my hands dude my hands are <laughs> swole from just typing and all day <laughs> playing guitar <laughs> Yeah, playing. Yeah, yeah. That's the thing. Like, it's funny. I remember for the longest time, my left shoulder was always bigger from playing guitar because I'd always have my arm like this. Nice. But yeah, like the great thing about dumbbells is like you can do so many things with that. Like I remember uh, when I first started getting into working out because I used to watch wrestling a lot when I was a kid, and I saw Batista, and he, you know, because he has these like giant traps that come out. I'm just like, dang, like that. I was like, that guy, yeah. But I was just like, I want to try getting that because i was just like this really skinny kid i used to play basketball all day and like not do anything else well and, and play guitar but uh yeah i just got some dumbbells and like just started googling like how to work that shoulder muscle i didn't even know what it was called right and then you start doing that and then you're like oh and then you start you know doing some other types of things like you just like it's just like kind of like music like oh like i want to learn this and then you start just kind of getting into it more and more but it's definitely yeah. a rabbit hole but um i would definitely check out huberman lab He's like a really down to earth guy. And, uh, you know, he goes deep in the science sometimes, but he also, he brings it back around to talk about practical tips, which I appreciate because, you know, like I'm a monkey. Uh, I just need like the, what do you do? Tell me what you do. <laughs> and mm-hmm. then, and then tell me what I should do and I'll, I'll try it out. I've been trying that out with the, the getting the sun in the eyes in the mornings, drinking lots of water. He talks about like a double inhale and then exhale breath for, for calming. Um, so like where you breathe you breathe in and then you breathe in more and then you exhale mm-hmm. and doing that like five times, you can really feel a difference in your heart rate and like your mindset. And then Dr. David Sinclair, his brand new podcast, you know, talks about diet and exercise, like specific, like really goes specific and then additional supplements. If you want to take vitamin D and fish oil and things like that. So those, yeah, that's, that's something I do too. Like those, those have been great supplements. I try not to like get too much into like taking like iron supplements, but like I try to eat a lot of like high iron stuff. Sure. Like uh, me and my girlfriend love to steam broccoli and spinach. Yeah. Spinach is good too. You know, you throw that stuff in a sandwich, you know, like any kind of like leafy greens has always been good. Like also kale, like I'll, I'll make these meals where it's uh like brown rice and quinoa and tofu. Like I have an air fryer, so I'll just cut up the tofu and squares and then I'll cook the, the kale very quickly just like you know not trying to like cook all the nutrients out of it but just enough to kind of like get all the flavors blending together nice you know super simple it like literally takes like 12 minutes right really quick to make like while i'm you know air frying the stuff i'll just do that so always trying to like you know find some kind of way to incorporate leafy greens and stuff like kale spinach and broccoli man if you can if you can get that stuff in your diet a lot like because a lot of times people can have a lot of uh, low energy levels just from from that or not drinking enough water, you know, if you could slam a cup of water before you go to sleep, you know, or, or especially when you wake up, like I've heard people say they like to do lemon water when they wake up and stuff like that. Yeah. So speaking of desk jobs, I read this article 
It says, COVID got your tongue, how to relearn the lost art of office small talk. It talks about how millennials have trouble with small talk and like talking to strangers and uh, talking to coworkers they don't really know, which obviously you and I don't have that problem, but. I'll um, talk to you. I don't talk to you ever. No, I, was <laughs> I would never talk to you. Uh, never. But basically there's three tips at the bottom of this article and it says, move away from core, like kitschy uh, stereotypical phrases. Um, instead of asking a question that you've heard a million times, like, how was your weekend? Try asking, what was the most surprising thing that happened this weekend? And basically, instead of a closed question, where if you say like, hilariously, I asked you how your weekend was before we started this. But, you know, if you ask a closed question, that leaves the other person with probably saying it was good. And that's yeah, the end a quick, of- like, yes or no. Like, yeah. so did, you have a, did you have a good weekend? Yeah. Exactly. How about Bye-bye. you? <laughs> How about you? Right. And so it's like if you ask a you know a closed-ended question, you're gonna get like a short response. But if you ask, "What was the most surprising thing that happened this weekend?" or like, "Did anything cool happen?" It's more open-ended, and the person can has like lots of options or lots of range of choices where to steer the conversation. Uh, the second tip is get out of your own head and be curious. Instead of assuming the conversation is going to be boring, listen to what people are saying and ask follow-up questions. That one makes a lot of sense. You know, like if you're focused on work and you're just like keeping your head down and you're, you know, annoyed by the people around you, you have all these tasks to do or whatever. It says, you know, instead of assuming the conversation with that person is going to be boring, if you listen to what people are saying, they probably have something interesting to tell you. Um, and then you can ask follow-up questions for me personally. That's how I found like new hobbies. Like I've picked up new hobbies, new activities to do new foods mm-hmm. to try recipes, things like that is just like asking follow-up questions and, and truly listening to what people are saying. I think a lot of people tend to like ask questions, but they're like, they're not like really listening. They're like asking a question so they can talk about something. don't 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 be yeah yeah don't be that yeah don't be that person who's like so how was your weekend oh it's okay oh mine was great so anyway (laughs) me and the wife went out to the mountains and then we you know our car broke down but you know that is Mm -hmm. and then the car you know it's like yeah like if if you're going to ask someone a question like ask with it with intent you know or or asking something like a quick way to kind of like get into someone's head is like if you had all the money in the world what would you do with your free time you know like like, that's a quick way to kind of like get into like what someone's interests are like, Oh, More man, I love like, yeah. yeah, I love like rebuilding cars. Oh, cool. Like, how'd you get into cars? And then boom, you can like open up the floodgates of all kinds of stuff. Cause you know, conversations can kind of go anywhere and yeah. it's kind of a great way to like get to the heart of, you know, what they cherish in life. Right. Value systems and stuff. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And then number three, it says, take the lead and set the tone by sharing information about yourself. So it says like a dance an enjoyable conversation does not come out of two people following. So, you know, like you got to have somebody leading the conversation, Mm -hmm. asking the next question, uh, making statements, you know, making jokes, things like that. So those are the three tips on how to do better small talk. Also, like I've heard other people talk about this. I've heard Tim Ferriss talk about this and stuff too, like doing things a little bit out of your comfort zone. Like, like I think one time he talked about like, you know, Hey, if if you go to a Starbucks and you you go to get a coffee, say, Hey, you know, do you think you can give me like a 10%? A discount doing little things that kind of scare you or like a lot of people don't really like asking someone at the register like oh how's your day or sure, you know sure. little little conversational things because like you, i think people have this like awkwardness like or they're gonna think i'm like being a weirdo or or prying or you know or something like that 
you know, but it's like, like finding little ways to just do that. Cause then you don't really think about it. It's, it's not like a, you're in your own head all the time. It's just, right. People are yeah. definitely scared of rejection. So like, you don't want to be told no, you know, so you're scared of, of asking for a discount or you're scared of people thinking you're weird. If you ask them how they're doing or how their day's going, or like, you know, you throw out what's the most surprising thing that happened this weekend, or you, yeah. you throw out what'd you get your girlfriend for Valentine's day? Uh, what's your five-year plan? yeah hit them with the five-year plan exactly yeah yeah i want it in detail i want a powerpoint presentation go and then the last thing i have today is an article called in praise of listening through every album by your favorite artist in order so this idea is basically to take the discography of say the beatles or maybe someone with only five albums or whatever and starting from the beginning uh, their first their first album for single and listening all the way up through their newest stuff. Have you ever done this? Uh, no, not not purposely. Just or I'm gonna go like in order. Some it's usually always just like, oh, I haven't listened to that album in a long time. I'll throw that on. Totally. But never never really just like sat like all right. I'm gonna just from A to Z kind of go through the discography or nothing like that. Like I never really you might have that. done it's, it with uh, your own bands the bands you're in no not even it's funny it's like complete opposite i feel like i feel like most people who who i know or or for myself like you make an album you listen to it like a zillion times and then maybe i'll revisit it like a couple years later sure but usually it's like by then you're over it and you're already trying to write new stuff so you're just like you know i mean like i've been listening to a lot of older stuff now just like preparing for some concerts and stuff right right just because that's more of like the 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 practicing aspect so i sort of have to but yeah not not really yeah it's more i'm very like what do i feel like listening to oh put that on i blast my songs in the car dude i'm i'm my my biggest fan you're like that's all i got i got the nate the nate dog playlist (laughs) and i just bump that i'm like what do you want to listen to i'm just kidding i got to pick that and then uh your significant other is like can you stop (laughs) right can we turn this your own horn can we listen to something else now you're like, no, hold on. Here, the, the cool part's coming up. Wait for it. Wait for it. <laughs> right. Wait for the drop. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's funny. I always feel bad when I'm working on new music because I'm like, man, the other people that are having to like hear it in the next room are probably like, can you stop playing that part over and over? But let's right. say you're like working on a solo or you're like trying to like just listen to it over and over to think like, what else can I put here? Or totally. should I change this? Should I cut this part? You know, like you're just, it's a, like a lot of music creation is just listening over and over. Same thing with like video editing. You're like, yeah. playing sometimes the same part over and over like does this part flow right or you know that sort of thing yeah i think a lot of art forms are the same way like it's it's just removing stuff you know like the like mm-hmm. the sculpting you continue taking away more and more from the, the stone mm-hmm. um but basically this guy says how it works before he starts on the on an album he usually reads the wikipedia entry and the review in all music so he's curious about performers, guests, producers, engineers, etc., and like any awards that the band got for this album. And he's he's a I believe this guy's a writer, so like a an author. So he doesn't he says I'm not musically smart enough to know what chromatic scales are, which studio results in the best sound, but mm-hmm. I like to have a sense of who had a hand in the choices that went into the record. And so then he said I'll usually listen to one album every two or three days. Uh, and he'll jot some notes after the first listen and then two or three days later revisit those notes and b- 
basically scroll like a review. So he'll review each album and he'll talk about the progression from like one album to the next or the first album to the last album. You can also do this with movies. Like if you have a favorite director, you can start with their first film or their first work that you can find. And you can just like progress over time chronologically to their latest stuff. And I think that's really cool. um, Just seeing kind of what they learned between art. Yeah, I I feel like there there are certain bands that I grew up listening to, like Metallica and, and Pantera and stuff. And I've heard some of those albums so many times that I almost like don't necessarily need to listen to them in order. Sure. You know, even even like I could just kind of like think back on it, you know, from like Kill Em All to Injustice for All or, you know, it's like there's such a, a shift like, you know, for anyone who knows Metallica, you know what I'm talking about. So, <laughs> you know, like Kill Em All is very like rough, raw, you know, just kind of more like thrashy not really trying to be like too like overly technical or anything like that it was more just kind of like straightforward and then like you start then you know you hear like ride the lightning and it's like oh the guitar to like they kind of up the production guitar tones and stuff or like you know production value stepped up the songs started like shaping a little bit more into like kind of what led their more because like early metallica was very like their songs started to get longer and longer a little bit more like almost like thematic in a way yeah. but then you know because like injustice for all into the black album was like you know these like super long songs you know because they would have songs like up to like seven minutes or or so or you know maybe even longer I, I forget at this point but then like the black album was like completely different like someone said i like what you guys do but we're gonna like condense these seven minute songs into like let's cut like three minutes of this off and like really like shape it so like a lot of it was like i think they were probably like well how can we like make it more and more aggressive with the guitar tones or like make the leads more shreddy or you know more thrash or in your face or whatever and then they they almost like went to this like peak and then they just started like kind of going down with them you can definitely see this kind of like arc of you know how they progressed and stuff which was cool and and i think it it probably had a lot to do with their age like you like you start to see certain bands like as they get older you you start to see this like shift yeah. And their music, like either they just stay the same because there maybe there's a little bit of that fear of like, well, if we make that change, are we going to lose fans? But I've always yeah. been a fan of bands that to say, I don't give a shit. Sure. We're going to do what, what we want to do. And I'm a big fan of that. I think it, like for anyone who's like a music writer, like if when you start, like unless you're getting paid to compose for somebody, you're going to write what they want. Uh-huh. But if it's like for your own stuff, you should never, ever be like writing with the idea of, are people going to like this? That's you're, such you're a selling such out, a, bro. Because you can still do that and still fail. And that's the thing like that would really suck. You're like, man, like I, I tried to do this thing. I thought everyone was going to love it. You know, it seems like that's what a lot of other, other people are doing. And then I just, you know, you're still going to get people not liking it. So it's like at the end yeah. of the day, just do you and that's it. It's all you can do. Right. Most of the time, people aren't paying attention at all. But then you will have a few people who don't like what you're doing. If they're paying mm-hmm. attention and you just got to keep rolling, you got to let that roll off your shoulder. Uh, I think another, another cool thing to do with chronological order is like composers you like. Mm-hmm. So I just looked up Danny Elfman's IMDb, which is of course massive. And I'm not going to mm-hmm. listen to every, every score he did, but like, you know, he started with Pee Wee's big adventure in 1985. Yep. And then 1988 was Beetlejuice. 1988 was also Midnight Run, Scrooged in 88, and then 
Batman, Tim Burton's Batman in 1989. So you look at his progression over those, you know, over those four years Mm -hmm. and the dude was just writing like a madman. Yeah. Batman, like that's where everyone I think saw Danny Elfman just level up, you know, because I mean, like he was never really like trying to have the intention of being a film composer, but you just saw once he started kind of getting more immersed into that world and, and, and sort of what they wanted. Cause I, I, I believe with the score of that, they wanted it to be sort of like a, not like star Wars, but like kind of like a a darker John Williams kind of, kind of score. So very like big bombastic and orchestral and stuff, but it's like, that's why I like it. Cause it's kind of that style of like bombastic or orchestral music, but with that, Danny Elfman test to it because it's like if you have your own style like how would you do a, an orchestra like if someone said I want you to do a John Williams thing but you're in your sort of style it's going to sound totally different exactly mm-hmm. and and that's what's cool is like he wasn't necessarily this like crazy concert orchestral guy but he was like all right well I'm going to make it happen to do it my way and probably like pull a lot of hairs out in the meantime but <laughs> you know but that's what's cool that's what's straight kinda... up workaholic for sure yeah but yeah. you you know from peewee's big adventure to beetlejuice you can hear it like if you mm-hmm. you know you play those scores but if you just go peewee to batman it's like uh is that that's the same guy like you you kind of it's a harder jump but if you go mm-hmm. beetlejuice to batman you're like okay yeah i think i see it and you know i mean he the guy's had over 40 years of writing music so you know, you could continue down this journey and listen to his latest. Some of his other scores that I really like are like uh, the uh, Oz the Great and Powerful. Oh, yeah. that That's one James of my Franklin. my favorite. Yeah, that's one of my favorite Danny Elfman scores because and, and that's one of the ones that he said that he wrote without a temp. Nice. And he actually knocked it out. I think like one of the quickest scores, I believe it was just, you know, because he just had that sort of like freedom to kind of do his thing. Yeah, the score that I probably listened to more than any of his other ones is Spider-Man, the same mm-hmm. Raimi, Tommy McGuire, Spider-Man. I, I wore that score out. Yeah, I remember you were telling me that was like one of your favorite ones. I had the uh, the paper score and everything. Yeah, that's cool. He was even a co-composer on, I think, Age of Ultron with Brian Tyler, too. And oh, okay. th- that's a pretty cool one because it's two different composers from different eras. You know, Brian Tyler's more like, I wouldn't say new, but more recent. Definitely, you know, Danny yeah. Elfman's been in the game for a while. So, uh, you know, and De- you know, Brian Tyler, he's done a lot of the like, like Thor, the dark world. And like, I think like final destination, like a bunch of different stuff. He kind of became like the, the hot composer in Hollywood pretty quickly. He had like a pretty quick, uh, rise and then he just started doing all kinds of stuff. But yeah, it was, it was interesting to see someone like him. Who's a little bit more of like a newer school guy with Danny Elfman, who's been in the game for a long time. Yeah. And and the score, you know, like you can hear like, you know, each one has, you know, a different one. I think they kind of like split it up, but it still works. But it's pretty cool. Pretty cool to see two composers kind of tag up from different eras. Yeah, I love that. So to finish this article, he says listening in chronological order renders the clearest picture of where artists sound began and where it ended up. Uh, The second option equally valuable is to enter an artist catalog during their peak accessible phase which I think you were talking about with Metallica, where they hit the pop charts or become a star, which gives you great appreciation for when they zig and zag. The great treasure of music can seem dull at times. I found that giving over real considered time to an artist's work has taught me so much about art, about creative decisions, and really just about how we all get up in the morning and have to make the day happen in a way that mattered. So I am going to probably pick a pick an artist with like less than five albums and try <laughs> to... Uh, try to listen to them in order 
Yeah, just you just got to find a band that doesn't have too too long of songs. Like if I was to try to do that with like Dream Theater or something, it <laughs> it would probably take me a few days. Yeah, and nothing <laughs> that's still making new music too. That's that's a no go. Yeah, that, that's pretty cool. It's a pretty cool uh, concept. I, I think that probably is something interesting to do with with your own work if you can, just to sort of see where where you come from. I know I used to do that with like mixing. Mm-hmm. I'd like I want to like listen to like an old mix I did just to kind of see if I've advanced at all and like you listen to old ones you're like oh god <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. Your, your guitar playing or your your singing or whatever you're doing is like yeah you can hear the the changes yeah i mean it's like of course you you know you can always go back and listen and probably like shriek and tear like what what was i thinking but it's cool to to go back and reflect on where you were because totally. you start to think about you know at that time i remember we were here we recorded in this place you know, I was really into this kind of band. You can hear it in the riffs that you're working on or the, or the type of music you're writing, you know, where you were like, you know, technically or what you were getting into. And then it, it's cool to see the, the, the progression, I think. Yeah, it's a time capsule. I agree. Exactly. So since we just recently released Hyperion String Solo Violins, you know, and we're talking about composers and stuff, I wanted to ask you what are some of your favorite string-based scores doesn't necessarily have to be like only strings but do you have any scores that you listen to that you just really love the way the strings were orchestrated and and arranged and written yeah i love stick out yeah i love danny elfman's strings like how he uses strings in in his more intense stuff like uh batman obviously but then spider-man the spider-man score uh edward scissorhands um, those kind of scores where he just uses like tight clusters and lots of tremolo um, in the high section, you can really you can really hear what he's like trying to accomplish, and it adds a lot of tension and um, just like interest where they're swelling in or swelling out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially uh, like when I think of Edward Scissorhands, because there's like certain parts where it's you know like it's snowing and very whimsical, and like hearing these little light tremolo violins up top like in the high octaves like definitely kind of give it that icy vibe like it's funny i always wonder sometimes like if that was an intentional thing or if just those moves kind of you know subconsciously just kind of like influence those kind of musical decisions which then like later on people use that as a reference like oh because now like you there's so many references now for certain types of things like oh if you want like a very creepy sound or you know like when people use certain words to try to describe a, a musical feeling like oh i want it to be very icy it's like yeah would you want me to like take some ice and throw it on my keyboard no like <laughs> it's like cold yeah like cold and harsh. yeah but it's like trying to like you know when you think of like finding these sounds to try to represent that feeling or or what you see on the screen because yeah, there's so like many different ways yeah and i was thought that was really cool and just kind of thinking about it right now like those types of sounds like make me kind of think about that very like icy right i also liked his alice in wonderland score i didn't really love the movie and i didn't see the sequel but his his score for that it was very energetic and had a lot of life and um the strings did a lot of work in there Mm -hmm. yeah what what about you uh i've had a a few recent ones well one of my recent ones actually is a danny elfman one he came out with this uh, violin concerto and and piano it's like a piano quartet called oh, 11 11 oh i haven't heard that yeah it, it's really good it's I, I believe it's in four movements and it was very uh inspired by oh, which composer was i think it was shostakovich and um so it was like 
sort of like his you know, not score for a movie or nothing like that. And there, there's another, um, uh, I think it's called schizophrenic schizophrenos serenata. It's, it's an old piece uh, of music that he wrote a long time ago and it's just music that he wrote. And I always really liked those because you're, you're kind of hearing him more in what yeah. he would probably do like in his By own himself. mind. Totally. Exactly. Like for fun, like not necessarily like for a, a picture. Cause I mean, there, there's always going to be that little bit of like, okay, well I'm writing this to this. So it's not necessarily what my gut would write for maybe like my own music. Yeah. You know, I think everyone kind of does, does things a little bit differently when it's just for them. Cause they're not answering to nobody, but uh, I really love it. It's like super cool. Um, the, the girl who plays the violin on the, on, on 11 11 just like just she's gnarly man like she's really really good super talented and the music's awesome very it's very like what i like very dark and kind of moody and okay um but yeah that's a really cool one but one of my other favorite uh string scores is uh the score for there will be blood by johnny greenwood nice i I, i've listened to that so many times and it's just so good and, and it's it's crazy because it's like what it's like the guitar player from radiohead yeah and it's you know? intense yeah yeah super intense really cool i mean like the the movie is amazing regardless but just like how it works with the movie and just even just listening to it on its own it's so good and uh yeah it and like yeah and, and that's what kind of got me into like trying to learn about like serialism and serial music and stuff because i i i think he used a lot of those kind of concepts for writing the score I, yeah atonality yeah and it's a, it's really like that's a really interesting thing too because it's like when you listen to it like you don't really think like oh it's very like you know typical chordal structures and trying to be you know fit to a certain melodic thing it's just very it just sounds like very different and yeah it makes you feel uneasy which is what it's supposed to do yeah i listen to a lot of that too you know even a little side one like a dead space soundtrack you know there's a lot of like oh yeah you know cool string stuff in there clusters yeah it's just you know clusters out the wazoo and you know you, know, you want to feel uneasy just go listen to that or l- listen to it in the dark and just get scared multiple times thanks a right. lot jason graves but yeah like it, like i love that kind of stuff and um but yeah those, those two definitely stand out for me especially you know like the solo violin stuff or, or hearing uh solo violins being like the main focus point aside from like all the orchestral stuff um you know typical like an orchestra supporting it I always like that kind of stuff. I think it's really cool, like violin concertos. and The solo violin library has two violins included and tons of articulations that are specialized, like Fautalando, Collegno, um, Bartok Pitts, uh, like just all kinds of, of stuff that you don't really see in like Hyperion strings elements. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like one of, one of my favorite things have, uh, lately incorporating it with Hyperion strings elements. Uh, like I was, I was building a template I'm building it uh, or adding it to my template for uh, some composing stuff that I'm planning on doing and blending those articulations, like the harmonic sustains or the Ponticello sustains or the flatando sustains, because they're very evolving mm-hmm. and very naturally textural, you know, yeah. like, cause you'll hear like, it, it won't just be like a, eh, like a smooth, just consistent sustain. You'll hear these little, embellishments and creaks and yeah and and noises exactly and and uh i was uh once i got my template all set up i was just kind of experimenting with like okay loading up the sustains from hyperion strings elements and then layering in like the flotandos 
on top of that, you know, especially when you have uh, a first and second violin. So now you have like two additional players like in isolation playing these articulations very differently on top of the more chamber string. So you're, there's just these, you know, extra textural string beds over top of this chamber string, which just gives it like so much more detail and, and just this extra layer of realism. It brings it to life. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like very inspiring to hear. Like when you just hear that, it's like those little elements can just kind of like put you in a different place and start to open up the creativity. At least that's how I felt like just doing that. I was playing around. Like I started hearing like all these other instruments over top of it and like almost like the the song starts building in your head before you start even having time to like reach for other instruments in your template but but yeah feeling. yeah and and even just like layering the the short articulations because they're super tight and detailed and dry mm-hmm. so you have that option of you know blending them with other articulations you know especially if you do have hyperion strings elements layering in those those short notes with those just for that extra detail and like and I, and I really like layering it on. But yeah, and also the behind and in front of the bridge sustains. Oh, yeah. Scrapey. Yeah, it like those are those articulations, like they don't sound pretty, but man, like basically gonna be probably a go-to. Also, like, you know, I mean, just like the harmonic sustains have that very like eerie sound. Cause what I like about the the front of the bridge compared to the behind the bridge, it's like uh the in front of the bridge is almost like the volume knobs like around two. And then when you go to like the behind the bridge, it's like it's cranked. Like, you know, because it has this very like soft whisper, but you still hear that kind of that it's almost like this breathy element of a of a violin gets the hair on your neck to stand up. Yeah, it's like that's like like when I was doing the walkthrough, that's like what I would do if if I was scoring a horror picture and I just wanted to like start making people feel a little uneasy, but like not going too hard, just having a very like that soft and breathy sort of like, oh, all right, this doesn't feel right. Yeah. But then, you know, when you want to like crank it up to 11, like those behind the bow sustains like or, or the behind the bridge is just like very unnerving. Right. So, yeah, really go cool. check out Craig's walkthrough of solo violins and then you can check out my composition video. And I used a bunch of phrases from both the uh, players and tried to kind of layer those into the composition. And that is just a composition using only that library. Uh, do you have any recommendations, things you've been watching, reading, listening to, what you've been doing? Uh, recommendations wise, um, I'd definitely say check out the Danny Elfman 1111. I'll check it out. Album like it's so good. Going back to what you were saying earlier, everyone who's listening, go outside, get some sun. Hey. You know, like, like I've been trying to get back on that health kick, waking up early and going to the gym and stuff. And it, it's crazy how much that starts to help you. Like yeah. just it's new year i'm just like man you know and a lot of people it's like new year everyone wants to start getting in shape and and stuff like that but like your health is something you can't really skip on yeah you need it you know especially you know because we're always inside gotta do something either it's like at the beginning of the day or at the end of the day or or some try to find time to get out and take a walk and take a lunch break yeah lunch break and and then go to the gym boom <laughs> Uh, I've been watching the John Adams miniseries on HBO and, you know, it's like the 1770s and all that. Um, And just how they lived back then is so interesting. You know, like they're getting inoculated for polio and like they're getting their arm cut open and just like junk 
you know, put into them, into their systems. Mm -hmm. And like, that was science back then. That was like, your doctor was doing his best. And like, you know, somebody gets their leg amputated and they bleed out and die. And it's like, Oh my gosh. Just like how good we have it. (laughs) Rough times. (laughs) Yeah. And that's only like 240 years ago, you know? So it's like, it's just a brutal, brutal time to be alive, but it's really well done. Uh, And then on a, a more, light note i've been watching uh the latest season of curb your enthusiasm oh uh, yeah and it's it's so funny man just, just as ridiculous it's always been the situations that he puts himself in and like how he reacts to people is just it's hilarious yeah i used to watch that when i was a kid way back in the day so the first season yeah. was in 2000 and it looks so bad i like i almost can't watch it and so like I, we skipped ahead, like after season like seven, things start looking way better. Like they invested in cameras or something. And like maybe they were doing it on purpose back in 2000 to look bad, but it looks so bad. So the newer seasons have all of like the same situational humor and like hilarious comedy, but you can actually watch it. It looks like a TV show. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't, I haven't actually watched any of the newer ones, but yeah, I always thought that show was hilarious. It's just you like should, so, so ridiculous. Yeah. You should pop in for, uh, I think it's season 11 that we're watching. It's worth your time. Nice. Yeah. I'm just, I'm over here waiting for better call Saul. That's, uh, that's the, okay. the next season that I'm waiting for. Cool. Well, I think that wraps up the topics for today, Craig, I will catch you next week. See you. All right. Yeah. Good talking later.